that's when Tribe Sober entered my life. That was my first month with Tribe Sober, and it was a complete revelation to me. I joined the WhatsApp group, which was instantly a connection with people all over the world, which was phenomenal. You know, in that time, it was a light in the darkness, and it was a whole bunch of people going through something similar. Quite, quite amazing and extraordinary. And not only that, there was this wonderful, you guys have this beautiful sober tracker that you cross off your alcohol-free days, you know, as you go along, which also was just, it came at exactly the right time for me. I was kind of stranded in nowhere and doing, starting to do some doodles and the connection somehow between putting pen to paper and visually seeing that you were making progress through July, not drinking, plus the support of that Tribe Sober group. It was extraordinary, and it was definitely, it set me on the path. Welcome to the Tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast, episode 162. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped thousands of people to do just that. And we created Tribe Sober because we know from experience that it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. And each week we feature a community voice, just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. I stopped drinking only because of you. And as a fun challenge to do the January Dry Challenge, Then it became six months, and I thought, oh, this is cool. I could last for six months, and then I drank again. And then I tried a second time for fun to quit um, just to, you know, take a break. And and now I think it is inadvertently permanent, not by design, but just by habit. So in the last 12 to 14 months, I've had one glass of wine, and that's it. And I don't think I will have another. So if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. My guest this week is tribe member Vanessa Hilton Barber. Vanessa is a writer, a photographer and a wild water swimmer. And like so many of us, she began drinking in her teens. That was the beginning of a habit that started off as fun but evolved into something much darker over the years. I began our conversation by asking Vanessa to introduce herself. 
Thanks, Janet. It's a real privilege to be here, so thanks for having me. I'll just give you Vanessa in a nutshell. I was born in Zimbabwe, grew up on a, a ranch in Matabili land. I left Zim after school, went to Rhodes University, got my first professional job as a, a film production person in TV commercials, went on to marketing and communications in internal marketing, and had a stint in social media at a digital media agency, and then started my own company called Content Architects, and we do content creation, and I'm a writer. I actually lived in Joburg for 10 years uh, before I moved here, which is uh, in a little town in the Eastern Cape on the coast called Clenamond. So let's dive into the drinking story, shall we, Vanessa? Just talk to us about what age you started drinking and how it kind of evolved from there. Ah, uh, yes, the drinking story. I started drinking when I was uh, 15, <laughs> and I think a lot of us can put our drinking into phases, especially <laughs> when you get to my age. So, you know, it was the fun phase. It was the social phase, it was the fairly desperate phase, and then it sort of went into the, I want to quit, and I'm struggling to do that phase. The first phase, the fun phase, was at school, really, with ouzo and cream soda and fun drinks and fun times. University was uh, different. I suppose there was a peer pressure situation in some ways. It was more beer and pool playing than studying. <laughs> a lot of the time. And then, you know, the real life, the Joburg living and being in a corporate world, that was more a sense of desperate drinking, if I'm honest. <laughs> you know, a bottle and a half <laughs> of wine easily a night and more on weekends with yes, tequila on the side. Yes, that's when the, oh, yeah. the self-medication phase sense tends to come in, doesn't it? Yeah, that's actually a brilliant way of thinking of it. Yeah, so desperation stroke self-medication. I left Joburg thinking I could escape that sort of lifestyle. And in fact, I did in many respects. And funnily enough, my drinking did actually decrease quite dramatically. But this, the binges, the binge drinking remained, and it became... If it was ever, you know, if it had been fun in the last few years before I moved to the Eastern Cape, it wasn't fun anymore. It wasn't, there wasn't even a window period of, you know, feeling good and kind of liminal. It, it, it was just almost instantly yeah. unpleasant and then uh, sleep. <laughs> so there's no fun in that. And the hangovers were quite dramatically awful. When you say your drinking decreased dramatically, was that uh, by a conscious effort on your part? So in terms of consistency, it decreased dramatically. If I did have a binge day or two a week, you know, that was still quite, it was a lot. And yes, very much so. It was a very conscious yeah. effort. I was in a lifestyle in Joburg that was, was, was very unconducive to being healthy. <laughs> Let's just say that as an understatement. So, yes, it was a very conscious decision to leave. And I So it sounds as if you evolved from uh, a regular drinker to a binge drinker, really, but the, uh, the habit still finds a way to, yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> to show itself. Yeah, you take it? yourself wherever you go. You've described the, the pattern to us very well. I just wondered how many years we're talking about. What was that kind of span? 
from when you went to the fun drinking at school to the, the kind of binges that made you feel desperate? So 15 to 19 was fun. Uh, 19 to, let's say, 30 would have been, you know, the more social. And then 30 to 39, <laughs> the self-medication stroke uh, desperation period. And then post-39 was the, the binge drinking and, like, I need to quit, but this is harder than I thought. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. I don't know if you've heard that stat. I talk about it quite a lot, that the average time that it takes people to register and accept that they have a problem with alcohol and then reach out and get help and do something about it it's 11 years. I just wondered how long your, your period of contemplation was. That's astonishing. That is astonishing. And, you know, <laughs> we're not supposed to regret, in inverted commas, our, you know, what we've done in our lives because it's all a journey. But if I had only had a magic carpet then and I could understand all of that stuff, you know, particularly neurobiological information about what drinking and alcohol actually does to your brain and body, so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I often talk about how COVID was a really big eye-opener in terms of being addicted to drinking because in South Africa, we couldn't actually buy alcohol for quite a long period during lockdown. So <laughs> that was definitely a time to self-reflect and understand how much agency one has over our addictions. Yeah. Did you find yourself kind of stocking up before the next alcohol ban arrived? Or did you maybe find alcohol available somewhere else? How did you cope with it? Or did you just not drink? It's an interesting question. Like so many people, I was caught in the wrong place. I wasn't at home. I was inland. I was actually traveling overseas when everything shut down. And the, well, the town I was in, there was no booze. Well, if there was, I didn't, I didn't know about it. So we went totally cold turkey, except for one instance where <laughs> a, f a friend offered us literally a tot of whiskey. And actually, that was one, I know we often talk about rock bottoms, but this was more like a tiny, a tiny but very, very memorable moment of, of understanding that I didn't want to be in the cycle of drinking anymore. That one tot of whiskey was like, a sh like I imagine morphine and cocaine all together. Just from that, my whole body just went into a state of <laughs> like total shock. Yeah. And I wanted more. I wanted more so badly. I would have done so much to get that bottle of whiskey, which I couldn't. <laughs> and you know, that's a frightening revelation to be face to face with that and uh, it gave me a lot of food for thought and I thought it didn't, yeah I mean that was it was it was a real right wake up there, call wasn't it rather than a it was a, a it was. rock bottom yeah yeah, yeah exactly. and did did you go through that I mean you you know we'll talk about moderation and setting rules mm. did you go through all that did you try to control it rather than accept that you would have to stop for a while. So very interesting when I reflect on uh, my journey. I actually started moderating very consciously in, uh, at Rhodes at university. I put in a rule that I would never drink more than three days in a row, ever. So 
from a very young age, that's how I juggled my, my drinking life. And I realized with hindsight that was both something that really saved me, I think, <laughs> but it also kept me in a massive cycle of drinking and withdrawal. I understand now that, you know, that day four, yeah. that day four is actually when you're going into a massive withdrawal. And if you only have a gap every four or five days, your body's always going to be craving that alcohol just to satisfy the withdrawal. Yeah. So it was decades of moderating just like that. <laughs> and then, you know, in that last yeah. phase. That yeah. I mean, it's a little bit like here in South Africa, there's a culture of weekend binge drinking, isn't yes, there? So yes. I think it starts on Thursday. <laughs> so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a lot of drinking. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is all about, you know, getting over that drinking, but looking forward to, to the next Thursday. So it's, as you exactly. say, it's a cycle, isn't it? And your, your body and mind is never really free of the stuff. So you can't start thinking rationally. In fact, uh, I learned in that corporate job of a term called steak knife Thursday, <laughs> which actually, uh, now you've just reminded me, I haven't thought of that for years. <laughs> We yeah. were all on our knife edge come Thursday because <laughs> <laughs> because we couldn't wait to get to the yeah. pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it works. I mean, don't they call it Fusa Thursday? Oh, right. Probably exactly. pronouncing it wrong there, but something like that as well, I've heard. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing. It really is a thing. So that moment that you described during the, the pandemic, that shot of whiskey that, that felt so good, it felt so good it scared you, actually. Was that the moment when you thought, I've really got to do something about this? Yes. It was about very much about having a sense of agency and not being able to be in control of myself in my own surroundings. So although during the pandemic we were given all these rules and regulations, surely I thought to myself, I can at least have my own agency and not crave alcohol. So yes, it was definitely it was definitely the beginning of this has to change. I don't want to ever, ever be in this situation again. You know, because it felt vulnerable, it felt like a massive yeah. weakness. You know, the wanting to drink hadn't ever been something that made me feel that vulnerable. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well 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 done you for, for recognizing that moment and, and taking action. So how did you do it? Talk us through the, the quitting phase, well, please. exact period. What was coming up was a dry July, and that's when Tribe Sober entered my life. <laughs> that was my first month with Tribe Sober, and it was a complete revelation to me. I joined the WhatsApp group, which was instantly a connection with people all over the world, which was phenomenal. You know, in that time, it was a light in the darkness, and it was a whole bunch of people going through something similar. Quite, quite amazing and extraordinary. And not only that, there was this wonderful, you guys have this beautiful sober tracker that you cross off your alcohol three days, you know, as you go along, which also was just, it came at exactly the right time for me. I was kind of stranded in nowhere and doing, starting to do some doodles and the connection somehow between putting pen to paper and visually seeing that you were making progress through July, not drinking, plus the support of that Tribe Sober group, it was extraordinary. And it was definitely 
it set me on the path. It wasn't an instant <laughs> it wasn't an instant path to total alcohol freedom, but it was a very, very strong beginning. Oh well that's that's great to hear, Vanessa. Yeah, I think, you know, when we're deep in our, our drinking phase, we we just kind of lose touch, don't we? And and it is, as you say, it's such a revelation. And when you start to learn about the damage that alcohol does to our bodies and our brains and 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 when you discover that there's other people out there in this fix, you know, people that like you want to make a change, it's uh, it's so nice. Just that connection is everything, isn't it? You don't feel so alone. You don't feel such a failure. You realize that all all we've done is get addicted to an addictive substance. You did dry July. I'm delighted that was um, a bit of a turning point and a revelation for you. What happened next after dry July? I also did sober October, and by that time I was back in back at home after you know seven months of being away, and that was also very successful. And just as an aside, that was actually the month where I quit smoking <laughs> because also actually hugely to do with you, Janet. Oh, well done. So I came to the end of my smoking journey during the sober October and one of the reasons was a video I watched of you talking about having breast cancer and just something about the way you spoke with such honesty and authenticity it really really went to the heart of me and as I've mentioned during lockdown (laughs) you know we weren't allowed to buy alcohol and not only that cigarettes were banned on sale so I hadn't actually been a huge smoker. I smoked when I drank before that. But during lockdown, I started smoking those illegal cigarettes. And the, I could feel the physical, the real physical issues with my body. And I was smoking 20 a day at the end of lockdown, which was just unbelievable. It was really debilitating. And I thought to myself, hmm, I'm doing so over October, but <laughs> got this other little challenge first. So... While that October was really successful again without drinking, there were a few data points. It was a step for me to stop smoking. And, you know, in the other 12 steps, tots, that little um, list I wrote, I talk about doing things, tackling things, other things, side issues before the big alcohol-free journey. And for me... The quitting smoking was, it gave me a huge amount of confidence. I thought to myself, if I can do that, if I can, I can do anything. I can really do anything. Little did I know I still needed another tool, which I'm sure you'll talk about, the tool of the coach. But yeah, I just wanted to make sure I said that to you, Janet, because you really were integral to that. And that is a lifesaver. So thank you. Oh, well, that's... That's wonderful to know. Thank you. So, yeah, let's talk about uh, Tribe Sober Coach Lynette at this point, shall we? When did you uh, hook up with her? Was that during Sober October or? No, so I cruised through to the end of the year and I hit the beginning of 2021 and I'd still gone back to a pattern of it was really uh, monthly binging, maybe. And I got an email from Tribe Sober, and it had a list of things. It must have been your New Year's email. It had a list of things. Have you tried this? 
And I went through the list and I was like, yes, 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 tick, 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 tick. I've done all this. I've done everything on this list. <laughs> I'm so damaged. Look at me. I still can't kick it. And then at the very end of the list, it said sober coach. And I was like, hmm, hang on a minute. I haven't actually done sober coaching. I wonder if I could explore this. I still really wasn't at a point where I wanted to discuss over drinking with anybody. So not only was it on your email, it also said it also had this great offer to for a free session, a first free session. So really, I thought, well, what have I got to lose? It's the beginning of a new year, and I reached out, and I had my first session with Lynette in February 2021, and, and my second session, which was in early March, from that second session, that was, my, that was the last time I touched alcohol. So it's almost two years now, and a total revelation and blessing. Wow, that's wonderful. <laughs> Thank Congratulations. You. Thank you, and thank you, Lynette. <laughs> yeah, well, talking of Lynette, I mean, as you know, we've all adopted her uh, her phrase that she uses a lot, which is get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm. Can you explain that phrase a little bit in case anyone's listening and they think, well, what mm. does that mean? So while Lynette is, you know, she's such a brilliantly warm and loving and unconditional support, she's got a very deep knowledge of neurobiology and you know the physical aspects of what drinking does and in terms of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable a lot of us as over drinkers are you know are we interested in the instant gratification side of of life i think we spend a lot of time pleasing other people and so when we need comfort and we need to blur the boundaries a little bit. We want that instantly. So the whole idea of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is not listening to what your emotions necessarily, your feelings in inverted commas, or even your body in early stages of withdrawal are telling you. You know, you need to ride the discomfort. A lot of people in the alcohol-free world call it, you know, surfing the wave. You've got to ride it. And Lynette talks about a lot of the neurobiology behind just being able to surf the wave and pushing through the feelings of discomfort and on the other side are more uh, sustainable ways of being, you know, uh, whether it's sobriety or cutting down on sugar or whatever your weakness is, whatever's driving you to a certain kind of addiction. Yeah, that's. I always think that's such good advice because it's also how we grow, isn't it? Because if we, every time we get an uncomfortable emotion, if we chase that away, numb that away with alcohol, we're not really learning how, how to mature emotionally, how to cope with, with pain. That's so we? true. People do say that our emotional maturity kind of stalls when we start drinking heavily. So I often say that I was 18 for a long time. <laughs> it took, took me far too long to grow up, but I got there in the end. That is so true. <laughs> I love that. And, you know... Yeah, well, you were 15. You started even yeah, younger than I was me. A, I was a mature 15 for a very long time. It's so true. And what Lynette teaches you in her coaching is that you, you can build up new pathways in your brain. And that's also in terms of growing. That, yeah. that talks to your... Your point about growing emotionally, because you actually grow your brain in a different way. 
so that you're not programmed to behave in the same way or want the same things over and over again. So it's very powerful. Yeah, and that, that's so encouraging, isn't it? Because uh, not that long ago, maybe uh, 10, maybe 20 years, but there used to be a, a school of thought that said, well, you know, as you get older, your brain cells die and you can't learn new stuff. And I mean, that is, we all know that's so wrong now. So it's, it's very encouraging, the, the neuroscience that has, uh, has surfaced over the last decade or so. Mm, absolutely. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. One of the many positive results of your coaching sessions, Vanessa, was your decision that you'd write a book about your recovery and highlight the things that helped you most. And we've shared that book with, with some of our um, our tribe members who, who all loved it. I know you call it TOTS. So start by explaining what TOTS is and uh, tell us a bit more about the book, please. Thanks, Janet. So TOTS is actually short for the other 12 steps, which came about, as you say, um, through coaching with Lynette. She is amazing in that she encourages you to put some goals in place uh, during your coaching. So I had a couple of quite short-term goals. I was doing some yoga teacher training, so to finish that, and then I had a, another goal, which was to swim <laughs> swim from Robben Island to Bloberg. And then a larger goal was to, I promised that I would share what helped me if I could make it to 12 months alcohol-free. And that was quite early on in the coaching. So I thought to myself, mm-hmm, no problem. We'll just cross that bridge when we come to it. And we probably won't come to it, so <laughs> it'll be fine. And we did come to it. And I really had to follow through on what I said I would do. So I literally just I had taken notes uh, all through our coaching. So I had a lot of notes. And I'd done a lot of work, you know, I'd read a lot of stuff and I found that it was quite easy to break it down into 12 kind of key chapters. I called it the other 12 steps uh, with no offense at all in any way to, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and AA uh, who have got the 12, you know, the 12 steps of remaining sober, which is phenomenal. But I wanted to shine a light on alcohol-free as in the word freedom and not as in the word Alcoholics Anonymous, as in shameful. So, yeah, I put together those 12 steps, tots, and I also used some of the doodles that I'd done with Lynette um, during our coaching. So, honestly, quite a raw experience. (laughs) The doodles are in no, by no means high art or art, or in fact, art at all. But, you know, there were things that helped me. And so if any of those steps help just one person, then job done in terms of just putting it out there. So, yeah, and thanks to Tribe Sober and yourself for sharing it. It's been oh, I know. It's really cool. Thank you. Yes, well, as you know, I think it's absolutely beautiful. I think you described it somewhere as a string of sparkly gems. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And it's, it's beautifully drawn. So let, let's just pick out a couple of the things you say in, in the book. 
You've used the hero's journey as a metaphor for this journey to going alcohol-free. In case anyone isn't familiar with the hero's journey, can you just summarize what that is and why it relates so well to, to what we do at Triumph Sober? Yeah, so in terms of the hero's journey, that story, or the metaphor, is based on the writings of Joseph Campbell, who studied the mythologies of different cultures from around the world. And he discovered that, you know, we all have the same stories. We all have the same myths. And one of those key stories was about the hero's journey, which I'll explain how it's broken down in, in the other 12 steps. So I've just taken a few elements of the hero, but basically we're in a, an ordinary world and we feel this call to adventure. And when we set forth on this adventure, in the hero's journey, it's not a linear situation. You know, we're going to go through what Campbell calls transformative ordeals, and we're going to need help. So we get assistance from supernatural aids, he calls them, and then something which I really love, the gift of the goddesses. So that's also another chapter in the book. And then as you're nearing your journey, you can you have the option to return, and in returning you have you take with you something called the gift of the elixirs, which is such a beautiful thing to me. It's taking back what you've learned and sharing it with other people. And I think anyone who's an overdrinker <laughs> is familiar with elixirs. So these are different kind of elixirs. These are helpful and, <laughs> and beautiful and positive. So I think the important thing about the hero's journey is also that you can fail. In fact, you're expected to fail uh, quite a few times along the way. And it might not even end in, in success. You know, it's like real life. It can be very, very dramatic and traumatic. And it positions you at the center of the story. And I think that's really, really important for anybody struggling to quit something. You need to put yourself at the center, the very center of what's going on. And that, that's the only way you're going to be able to control the outcome. Yeah, that's a, a lovely metaphor for, for what we go through. And Alexias indeed, let's get sharing those Alexias, which is exactly what you've done with your book. So another book, uh, I'm also a great fan of this book, is The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. In case anyone hasn't heard of that, just um, summarize what the book's about and how it can help us in recovery. Oh, great. I'm glad you're also a fan. The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, honestly, I think it could also be called The Alcohol Freeway. <laughs> it's just phenomenal. It's also broken down into 12 chapters, uh, 12 steps. In fact, you're supposed to do one chapter per week. And funnily enough, I only found this out, but Julia Cameron herself is in recovery. She did it unconsciously or consciously. It, it mirrors the 12 steps of the Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's just outstanding in so many ways. In all chapters, it's about connecting to yourself in different ways. And we were talking about the hero's journey and Cameron, through a very subtle process, puts you at the center of the journey. And she uses creativity as, let's call it a metaphor, but in fact, it really is just about connecting to yourself and honoring yourself. And she's got a, some fantastic tools that I'm happy to share with you. 
Yeah, well, we talk all the time, don't we, about journaling, the value of journaling. And some people, I mean, I've always loved writing, but some people go, oh, I'm not sure, you know, I I don't really like writing Mm. things down much. Mm. But then, you know, I say to them, just try those morning pages, Mm. you know, just wake up, sit down and, and just, you know, write a page or two and then throw it in the bin. And people have come back to me and said, wow, you know, it's really awakened Mm. something in me. And yes, I can write. I do like to write. So that's that's what she's all about, isn't it? Really awakening our our creativity. The morning pages shines a light on resistance as well, because even after years of doing morning pages, I can still feel resistance. And I know in terms of that level of resistance you know, where I am at. So I can still promise myself and I still do. I'll go, oh, I won't do it this morning. I'll do it just before 12 o'clock when I've done X, Y, Z on my list. And it never happens. And if it does happen, it doesn't have that magic. So it's about bypassing the feelings, as we were talking about earlier, in inverted commas, and just doing the thing. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're creating the habit, the good habit there. How much sober time have you clocked up now? Remind uh, us. It will be two years on the 10th of March, which is just a revelation to me. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, if I can do it. Yeah. Anybody Congratulations. can. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. What are your top three benefits of sobriety? That's a tricky one. <laughs> I would say it's hard to quantify because it's more than three. It's like the benefits are exponential and they're ongoing. I sound like Pollyanna, but really and truly. What I didn't understand was the level of energy that went into even, you know, at the end of my drinking career when it was a couple of binges a month. There was so much energy in that white knuckling of of not giving in and so on. You know, you're just being robbed of beauty all the time. So once that's gone and you don't have to go, will I, won't I, is it on the table, should I, shouldn't I? your life is completely different and the whole horizon opens up. It's important for me to just say as well that, and I think this, I say it because I think a lot of people will resonate with this. When you're drinking, even if it is just a couple of times a week or once a month, you don't actually get to know yourself terribly well. I firmly believe that now. When you are 100% alcohol-free, you start to realize that you are determined and sensitive and stubborn and passionate, driven, and so many things that you might not have seen before because you were being being sidetracked. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at tribesober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Just supposing uh, there's someone listening mm. to this and thinking, oh, listen to those two <laughs> Pollyannas. <laughs> and they're where we're, we were mm. a number of years ago. And they, they know that they've got to make a change, but they just don't know how to get started. Mm. Or indeed, they're not sure it's going to be worth all that hard work. What would you say to encourage them? I think if you just start putting the steps together and you start stringing the days together, I really and truly believe that. And 
I can also say that it didn't matter how many books and podcasts I read, I could still easily be binging and worrying and depleting my energy and mental strength without having actually had a sober coach. So it could differ for, from person to person, but I would say that was the final key that opened the door to freedom. It really, really made a huge difference. I think having somebody in your story with you that cares is a phenomenal thing. Yeah. And, you know, even if it's not a one-on-one, -on -one, it's a group like Tribe Sober, you know, like your WhatsApp group, it makes a difference. Or, in fact, your cafe sessions that you have on a Saturday. I think it, it's a support base that people may not know they need, but they do. If someone's listening to this and they'd love to contact you just to, to say hi or ask you a question, uh, would they be able to do yeah, that? Yeah. Is there any way they sure. can contact you? I would you? love that a lot. They can contact me via email, vanessa at contentarchitects.co.za. So that's V-A-N-E-S-S-A at contentarchitects.co.za. Or you can find me on Facebook under my name. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Let's pull out some key points. I just love the way she divides her drinking career into phases. There was the fun phase, 15 to 19 years old. And then there was the social phase, 19 to 30. And then there was the fairly desperate phase, from 30 to 39. And finally, the I need to quit phase, 39 onwards. I think so many of us can identify with those phases. The pattern that Vanessa describes fits pretty well with the theory that 20 years of regular drinking will result in alcohol dependence. If you'd like to hear the science behind that theory, then have a listen to my interview with Ken Middleton, episode 23 of the Tribe Sober podcast, back in November 2020. Like most of us, Vanessa tried to moderate, and she did manage to cut down for periods. However, she was still binge drinking occasionally, so the dependence was still there. And along with her moderation attempts, of course she had some rules. She even started a rule when she was back at university, and she's kept it going ever since. It was a three-day rule. She would never drink more than three days in a row. However, on reflection, she realizes now that her three-day rule actually kept her in a cycle of drinking and then withdrawal. And here in South Africa, there's a real culture of binge drinking at the weekend. Vanessa explained that in her office, they used to refer to Thursdays as steak knife Thursdays, as everyone was on edge waiting for the weekend drinking to begin. It was actually COVID that opened Vanessa's eyes to the nation's love affair with alcohol. Several alcohol bans meant that many people had to be creative about sourcing their alcohol. She describes a moment during COVID when she just had a tot of whiskey, but it tasted so good and it released such a craving that it frightened her and it made her realise she would have to make a change. So Vanessa discovered Tribe Sober and straight away she loved the support of the international community. She did Dry July with us and loved watching the alcohol-free days stack up on her tracker. 
And as she learnt more about the harm that alcohol does, she felt more and more motivated to go alcohol-free. So she managed Sober October, but she still had periods of binge drinking. At the beginning of 2021, Vanessa decided to try coaching. As a member of Tribe Sober, she'd been offered a free coaching session, so decided to take it up. She loved her coaching sessions with Lynette, and by session two, she ditched the booze completely. We agreed that Lynette's philosophy that we must get comfortable with being uncomfortable is such a powerful one. By riding our discomfort and pushing through, we'll experience emotional growth and grow new neural pathways. One of the goals that Vanessa set with Lynette during an early coaching session was that when she reached her first soberversary, she would share the strategies that had enabled her to quit. She would pay it forward. And that's how her stunning book was born. She calls it TOTS, which stands for The Other 12 Steps. It's full of gorgeous illustrations, which came from the doodles she would make during her coaching sessions, Doodles she would develop further as she reflected on her learnings. She calls Tots a string of sparkling gems, and I couldn't agree more. And if you'd like a digital copy of Tots, just email membership at tribesober.com and we'll send you a copy. You'll find so many treasures in Tots, along with a description of the hero's journey with its transformative challenges. And just like the hero... We may stumble and fall on our sobriety journey, but if we keep trying, we'll succeed. And our reward will be the gift of Alexius, which will enable us to help others to do what we've done, which is exactly what Vanessa's done with her tots. She also refers to The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, and we agreed that this book can be a key to unlocking our creativity and doing our daily morning pages can be a life-changing habit. Vanessa described the benefits of alcohol-free living as exponential, but a huge one for her has been the energy. Now she no longer has to try to control her drinking and manage the after-effects, she has so much more energy and mental strength. This made me think back to my interview with William Krause a couple of episodes ago. He said that redirecting the energy that we waste on controlling alcohol is the key to unlocking the life of our dreams. So Vanessa's coaching sessions were a game changer. And I love the way she describes the power of coaching. She says it's about having someone else in your story with you. So if you'd like to experience the power of coaching, then join Tribe Sober. New members are entitled to a coaching session with Lynette so you can try it out for yourself. Just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Let me end with a message from one of our chat rooms. This one's from Trish in Australia. Trish is more than 500 days sober and she's such an inspiration to so many of our members. Good morning tribe. Happy Saturday from here in Australia. Just checking in to say hello. Not a lot to report, really. My sober life goes on. And still, at 521 days, I'm grateful for each day. I'm free of the toxic hot mess that is alcohol. 
It's so lovely to see new members joining and others still building their sober wall, brick by brick, day by day. If times are bumpy, just keep going. Find a way. Use your tribe. The support and wisdom here is truly amazing. If life seems easy, just keep going, keep learning and keep growing into this beautiful new experience. That's where I am now and I'm aware that while I sometimes feel adrift, it's because I've left the old me far behind and the new me is still emerging as I relearn how to live. It's a beautiful thing for which I'm very grateful. Sending much love to you all. Well, thank you, Trish. We're so grateful for your ongoing support and your wisdom. And that's it from me. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.